Amen. Well, it's good to be here with you. Um, our hearts are torn. We love being here. We enjoy being in your church very much, but we have responsibilities that call, right? Yeah. So we're looking forward to getting back to you, but just thank you for being a blessing to our lives. All right. I'd like to start out looking at a couple verses before we get to our main text, and I want us to go to Matthew chapter 28 and look at the Great Commission. Amen. You know, in the Bible, I see Jesus setting some examples for us, and one thing that he did was that he chose 12 disciples. He chose 12 disciples and worked with them day in and day out, day and night they were together. Through good times they were together, through hard times they were together. And they just got to be around the Lord 24 hours a day for those three years. And uh, so I think that's an example he sets for us also in the scriptures. So uh, today I think the, our disciples are the people we lead to the Lord and work closely with. And I think every born-again Believer, every born-again Christian should have some disciples he's working with. Imagine if everyone in here had 12 people that you, you led to the Lord and you're discipling them, which just means being their friends sometimes. It doesn't always mean just sitting down and going through some lesson in a book. And sometimes that's what we understand by discipling, right? Well, let me take them through this lesson. And that's good and that's part of it, but that's not all of it. So you got to get more involved with, with these people, and I see that as, as an example for us. And the passage we're going to look at tonight is another example for us. But let's go to Matthew 28 first, and I want to read verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So here, it doesn't have the word discipling in it, but you have to ask yourself, what is a disciple? Anybody know what a disciple is? I mean, I looked, at a, I looked up the definition, and there was a long list of synonyms for the word disciple, but one is a convert. Another of the words is a follower. <laughs> and another one of the words is a, a student, like a, a student under a teacher. And so Jesus was the master. He was the teacher, and his 12 disciples were his students. They were his converts. They were his followers. All of us need to have those in our lives. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So like... Uh, it's people you take under your wing, people you're helping out, people you're helping them with their new believers, you're helping them with these basic questions, you're helping them along, you're encouraging them to come to church, you're encouraging them to serve the Lord, and you're helping them along as they take their baby steps, and that's, that's discipling. But a lot of people aren't interested in really serving the Lord in that way because a lot of people, all they want to do is come to church, sit down, get up go home. I did my responsibility for the week. I did my duty. I went to church. I'm good, right? No, no. God has a very special purpose for each and every one of us, and uh, that's to preach the word. <laughs> preach the word. Okay, let's go to Mark chapter 16. I think it's going to be 1516. the other way around, 1615. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So have you done that? Don't you feel like you're failing the Lord? <laughs> At least witness to the people that are around you. At least witness to the people you have come in contact with. At least witness to your neighbors. At least invite people to church. At least... Let people know you're a Christian. At least let people know you love God. But a lot of Christians, zip it. But then I don't think we can really call them Christians because a Christian is imitating 
the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to be a better witness, and I want us to go to John chapter 4. But before we get started, let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you tonight thanking you for your blessings. Lord, we thank you for sending someone our way with the gospel. And thank you for someone who was interested in us and spoke to us and witnessed to us and, or invited us to church or explained the gospel message to us. And I th I'm thankful it came to us, but what about all the people around us? Lord, help us to have compassion on people like you do. Help us to have your heart and to think like you do. And to not keep our mouth shut, but to be a witness, a faithful witness. And Lord, help us to be obedient children who bear much fruit because we know that honors you and glorifies you. And help us to bring you honor and glory with our lives, with our testimonies, but with our mouths as well. You can't just keep silent when people are dying and going to hell. Lord, help us be the witnesses we ought to be. And Lord, I pray that you'll bless this message. Use me for your honor and glory. We pray that the Holy Spirit will have freedom tonight, and we pray that you'll work in each and every heart. And if there's someone here without Christ, we do pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them of their need for a Savior, and that someone would come to know you tonight, Lord, that it wouldn't be too late, but that they would uh, take advantage of this opportunity that you've given them to come to know you. And Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Before getting into John chapter 4, let's go to John chapter 17 quickly. In John chapter 17, look at verse 18. We all know verse 17. 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The Lord Jesus Christ is praying for us in this chapter. And in verse 18, it says, As thou hast sent me into the world, the Father sent the Son into the world. Then the Son says, Even so have I also sent them into the world. Who? Who did he send? Us. Us. So that's important to know that. Look in verse 3. 17.3. And this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, aren't you glad the Son was obedient and came? Amen. But how sad that many of you, even though he says, even as the Father has sent me, so send I you, and we don't go. So imagine how disappointing that is for the Lord who gave everything for us, and we're not willing to give anything for him. That's sad. Amen. So we need to be winning souls and discipling those people. You'd be amazed how your church would grow. You're like, we don't fit it already. Well, I see a lot of empty chairs tonight. I know Sunday morning crowd's big, but a lot of more people could fit in here tonight. And Wednesday nights, a lot more people could fit in here. So there's still some room. Amen. Uh, like that hymn we sing, there's still room. There's room at the cross for you. There's still room. Amen. So when you do your job you, and you fulfill your responsibility of reaching people for Christ and you're no longer able to fit in your church, don't you think God knows our needs and don't you think he will provide? I'm thankful we're having the same problem you're having. You know, when you're in the ministry, you shy away from problems. You're like, oh, no, another problem. But not having room in your church building for people, that's one of the good problems. <laughs> and so we're having that problem right now, too, in Mexico. And a lot of it has to do with Brother Miguel and his rehab center and bringing 35 men to church every service. So uh, pray for me. I, I have plans to. We have a balcony in the back that is not being used because it's all flat. So if we put rows of chairs up there, only the people in the first row would be able to see so I have plans on building like an elevated thing where we can put chairs down on the floor and then another row behind them that's higher up, like sort of like bleachers, but I just want to use chairs and build the platform and just put the chairs on it. So pray for that. Pray that the Lord would provide for that and that we could do that because we're having 
problems like you are where people don't fit. <laughs> but that's the good kind of problems. We don't mind that kind. Amen. Bring them on. <laughs> now go with me to John chapter 15. And here the Lord tells us, here he's the vine and we're the branches. He wants us to bear fruit. Now, what's the, what's the fruit of a Christian? Yeah, amen. <laughs> amen. So that's the people you lead to the Lord. That's your fruit. You know, a lot of people that say they're Christians, they're barren. Bear no fruit. They bear no fruit. So are you really a Christian? I mean, don't Christians uh, obey what? Don't they obey God's commandments? And what I want to show you tonight is that it, it can just be natural in your life. You don't have to be some weirdo telling people about, like, the Lord or salvation. But, and, and the more you do it, the more natural it will become for you, the easier it will become for you. It's like trying anything new. And a lot of people, they have never led anyone to the Lord. So because you've never led anyone to the Lord, you don't know the joy that it brings. You don't know the peace that it brings because you know you're obeying God. You feel fulfilled. You feel used. You feel useful. And uh, a lot of Christians as Christians, have never experienced that because they've never led someone to the Lord. And a lot of people have the excuse, well, I don't know how to lead someone to the Lord. Well, then who led you to the Lord or who's discipling you? Go to them and ask them. And if they don't know, go to your pastor or go to someone on staff and ask them, hey, I don't know how to lead people to the Lord, but I want to learn how. Can I go with you on visitation? And that's how you learn. You learn, first of all, you're going to go and you're just going to be quiet and you're going to be the silent partner who's praying the whole time that the person you're, the pastor's dealing with would be saved. And you just pray. And if there's any interferences, like babies crying, you grab the baby. I've done that. Amen. I'm not real good with babies, but I'll do it if it means that a person's going to get saved. And we've seen it happen. Amen. It never fails down in Mexico, you know. Uh, a lot of, they sell a lot of things out of the back of the truck. I mean, your propane bottles come out of the back of a truck, fruits and vegetables, the water guy, everybody. So when you're out winning souls, you know, they wouldn't come by all day. But when you're there about to lead someone to the Lord, they show up. And there's always uh, going to be interference, Satan trying to keep that person from coming to know the Lord as their Savior. But the more experience you have in... Uh, witnessing and uh, or being the silent partner you you intercept those interruptions so that the person can still hear the gospel and still be saved so both people are very very important and very necessary and at first you don't have to know how to lead someone to the lord if you're willing to go along and pray and intercede or intercept interruptions amen <laughs> all right let's look in john chapter 15 and look in verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. Now what if you had a whole orchard? Why would you have an orchard? Well, people plant trees hoping to bear fruit, and they hope to be able to make some money selling the fruit. So what if your whole orchard didn't produce any fruit? What would you do? Imagine how frustrated the Lord is with us at times because we're his orchard and not bearing any fruit. And in verse 5 it says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Well, are you? For without me ye can do nothing. And then look at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. And then look down in verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. Now I've seen, I've seen some people bragging on all the people they led to the Lord, but you never see them in church. Now, how many did you lead to the Lord last week? Oh, 300, Pastor. Oh, well, where are they? That's why I'm telling you that the discipleship is important because 
If not, this is a newborn babe, and if you just left him out on the streets, if you had a baby and just left it out on the street, would, it, would that baby survive? No, well, newborn Christians can't either unless you take them under your wing and bring them along and disciple them and help them along and get them in church, and uh, they're, they're the ones that will survive. Amen. And remember, Jesus discipled 12, and because they were obedient, the gospel made its way to us one day. And if we're disobedient and... Don't witness to anybody, don't lead anybody to the Lord, don't disciple anybody, don't bring anybody to church. That's a cycle that's being interrupted because you're disobedient. Your fruit should remain. Your fruit needs to remain, remain in church. And what, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. You know why God doesn't answer your prayers a lot of times? You're not bearing fruit. So God says, nope, that's okay. Nope, maybe sometime, but not right now. And God just keeps saying no to your prayers or keeps saying, well, maybe later, because he's waiting for obedience in his children. Amen. When you start bearing fruit, you watch how God will start answering your prayers. Amen. Okay, let's go to John chapter 4, and here we see an example of the Lord teaching us how to lead people to Christ. That's the woman at the well. I want to read the first five verses, and it says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Now, that's an interesting verse. Why was it necessary for the Lord to go through Samaria? And I'm going to tell you something very interesting here in a minute. But the Jews avoided going through Samaria. They avoided going through Samaria at all costs. Because here in the passage, the woman says, How come you being a Jew, you're speaking to me for... We, have no, we don't speak to each other. Jews don't speak to Samaritans, and we don't speak to Jews. Why are you talking to me? And so the Jewish people would avoid going through Samaria at all costs. And if you, we learned, we learned this when we, when we went to Israel, I don't know, about 12 years ago now, 11 or 12 years ago. But people, when they wanted to go up north to Galilee, I mean, you could just leave straight north right out of Jerusalem, but you'd have to go to Samaria. They didn't want to do that. So they would go down to Jericho, down this winding road, down to Jericho. Remember, Jerusalem's up on mountains, and they would go down to Jericho, this winding road. Jericho's close to the Dead Sea, which is the lowest spot on earth. And they would rather do that, go down this windy road, dangerous road. We read it in the Bible where the Lord gives the illustration of a man who was beaten and robbed and left for dead, and a Levite came by, a Pharisee came by, and then the Samaritan came by. And uh, then Jesus asked, who was the neighbor? Who was the neighbor? <laughs> and the, and this, uh, it was a parable he gave. So it was a dangerous road, and they would rather choose this dangerous, winding road from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and then they would go all north along the edge of the Jordan River all until they got to Galilee. And they would do that to not have to go through Samaria because they didn't want to speak to the Samaritans. So verse 4 is very interesting because it says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now you have to ask yourself, why? Don't you think he was thinking about somebody because the Lord Jesus Christ is God and knows all things? Don't you think he was thinking of the Samaritan woman he was going to meet at the well before he decided it was necessary for him to go through Samaria? Now, do you have anybody in mind you're trying to lead to the Lord right now? Do you have someone near you, close to you, that, you're, that you would like to, them to be saved? You'd like them to come to know the Lord? Are you working on anybody right now? Here it says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. 
All right, now I want you to, to understand why the Jews didn't speak to the Samaritans. And let me read this to you. The Samaritans looked, were looked down upon by the Jews because they were a mixed race. They were only half Jewish. This was because of the influx, influx of the Assyrians when they conquered Israel, the northern kingdom, in 721 B.C. Remember that because of their idolatry, God sent in nations from outside to come in and conquer them, uh, destroy their cities, take them captive. And so that happened to the northern kingdom, which is Samaria was a part of in the year 721 BC. They took a number of Jews to Assyria as captive slaves, but they also moved a great number of Assyrians into the conquered land. Thus, the Jews intermarried with the Assyrians, and this affected their religion which became a mixture of Judaism and Assyrian idolatry. All right, so that's why the Jews didn't speak to the, to the Samaritans, because there was a difference in religion. And the, the Samaritans then were idolatrous. Uh, they no longer went up to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices because they worshipped in that mountain that she talks about in this passage in John chapter 4. And in verse 20, our fathers worshipped in this mountain and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Difference in religion. And so the Jews, you know, they continue worshiping in Jerusalem, taking their sacrifices to the temple. All the men had to go up to Jerusalem three times a year, but the Samaritans, of course, no longer went. <clears throat> so differences in religion uh, looked down upon maybe because they weren't 100% Jews and a half, a half breed, a half race, and uh, also the difference in religion. Now, the Bible tells us here that he came to a city, in verse 5, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the par parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, in the Old Testament, Sychar is uh, called Shechem. Today, if you went to Israel and looked for Shechem or Sychar, you wouldn't find it. <laughs> well, because the modern city is called Nablus, okay? But the place is still there, and there's... Two mountains right there, and Jacob's well is there. Joseph's bones are buried there. Shechem, we find Shechem throughout the scriptures. It's, a, it's very centrally located, okay? It's a central location in Israel, so an important place. I noticed that here in South Dakota, as well as in many other states, if you want to go to the state capital, they conveniently put it in the center of the state so that uh, no matter where you live in South Dakota, it, it's centrally located, okay? So Shechem is a city like that, and here, here is the state capital. It's just more convenient to have it in the center than have it in one corner where people have to travel so far from everywhere else to get there, okay? So Sychar, or Shechem, is a city like that that's centrally located. And I want to look at a few verses in the Bible that talk about Shechem. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 6. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Shechem. If you understand Hebrew, the only thing between a s and a sh is one dot. And the dots weren't in the original writings. The, those were added later. In other words, you had all consonants and no vowels, and you wouldn't know how to pronounce it without that dot. <laughs> the vowels were added later. They weren't in the original writings. Amen. So it says Sikkim, but it's Shechem. Under the place of Shechem, under the place of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. So Abraham's journey from Haran, he came through there. And you, you know, in uh, Hebrew, it's like Haran, Haran. You know, it's, it's like that. You got to get way back into the back of your throat to pronounce it. Yeah. And so that's, that's how that is. But we don't say it exactly today how they would have said it. And that's normal because we speak English. Amen. <laughs> 
Let's go to Genesis 33 now. Genesis 33 and verse 18. We'll read 18 through 20. And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. So obviously Shechem was named after a person, and here the Bible mentions him. And in verse 20 it says, And he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Okay, so let's go to Genesis 34 now. And in Genesis 34, I'm not going to get into it and read it all, but Shechem is the city where Dinah, or Dina, however, I don't know how to pronounce it properly either, uh, the daughter of Jacob was defiled, Genesis 34. Look in Genesis 35. And let's read the, read the first four verses. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up unto Bethel. Go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God. So Bethel and Shechem are close together, and that's important. We're going to get into it a little more later. And make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods, so they're idols, which were in their hand, and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. So it's a place where Jacob got right with God. They got rid of the idols, and the Bible tells us they got rid of their earrings. Now, would that be associated with the idolatry? Would that be part of the pagan culture to use earrings? Why did they get rid of them? <laughs> when, they, when they knew they were going to meet with God, they got rid of all that stuff. Let's go to Genesis 37. Shechem is also the place where Joseph was sold into slavery. And look in verse 28. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. We know that was God's plan to preserve Israel through that famine. And so it was part of God's plan, but that's where he was sold into slavery is Shechem. So it's an important city throughout the scriptures, centrally located. The two mountains that are there, let's go look in Deuteronomy 27. Remember, Bethel's nearby. I don't know about you, but I like geography, so I like biblical geography, and I have no problem locating these places and knowing where they are in my head. So if you don't know, then maybe look at your Bible maps if you have any in the back of your Bible. But look and locate where Sychar or Shechem is uh, in the land it's centrally located. Okay, Deuteronomy 27, there are two mountains there. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. These shall stand upon Mount Gerizim to bless the people. So there was the Mount of Blessing, which is the Mount Gerizim. When ye are come over Jordan, Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Joseph and Benjamin, and they shall stand upon the Mount Ebal to curse. So that's the Mount of Cursing. And Shechem's right in the middle between the two mountains, in this valley between those two mountains. And then it says Reuben, Gad, and Asher, and Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. 
All right. Also, Joseph's bones were brought up out of Egypt and buried at Shechem. And to see that, we have to go to Joshua 24. But if you were able to get to Nablus today and you would want to go see Joseph's tomb, you could go there. You could also go to Jacob's well and drink water from it. It's still there. still has water after all these years right there at Shechem. Today it's called Nablus. And so let's go to Joshua 24. And verse 32. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, in a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. In the book of the Kings, Shechem was a central gathering place for the nation of Israel. And King Jeroboam built his palace there. So let's go to 1 Kings. And this is also important because remember, Bethel's nearby. And do you know what Jeroboam did? Now, a lot of the idolatry maybe did begin with Solomon, but he was not the most wicked of the kings. Do you know who the most wicked of the kings is? The Bible tells us. Ahab, definitely. But uh, Solomon was definitely a stumbling block when he married strange wives and started building temples for false gods. First he built a temple for the true and living God, then he's building all these other temples. And uh, it's not how you start out in life that really matters, because you might be struggling at first, but it's how you finish your race that matters. Are you going to, I mean, you might start out weak, but are you going to finish strong for the Lord? I hope so. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 12. Then Ahab, he was the worst of all the kings because he married a wicked woman. <laughs> so who you marry actually affects you and affect, will affect you in your future and affect uh, the future of your home, your household, uh, things that happen down the road because uh, who you marry, besides salvation, who you marry is decision number two most important in your life. Amen? Amen. <laughs> So 1 Kings chapter 12, let's look in verse 25 through 33. Then Jeroboam built Shechem and Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the, king, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. He was worried that people would keep going up to Jerusalem to the temple and offer sacrifices there, was afraid of losing his constituents to Rehoboam, who now the kingdom's divided, so he didn't want his people going down to the southern kingdom, to Jerusalem, to offer up sacrifices, so he makes a terrible decision. And he makes a terrible decision because he listens to advice from the wrong people, <laughs> How many Christians do that? They go to all the wrong sources for their advice, for their counsel. Look, God put people in your life to help guide you, to help direct you. You have a pastor here. You need to go to him. Don't ask the drunk who lives next door. <laughs> Amen. Don't ask your cousin Lucy who's been married six times about marital advice. Amen. Amen. Go to your pastor. <laughs> so Rehoboam made the same mistake. He, he at first went to the elderly men. I'm talking about Rehoboam. That's the previous chapter, or earlier in chapter 12. But I think it's the previous chapter. But he went to the elderly men, and they gave him good advice. Then he went to the young men, and they gave him bad advice, and he followed their advice, the advice of his peers, people his own age. People who didn't have the experience, people who hadn't lived through these things, they were just saying whatever, and he went along with it. And it divided the kingdom. But ultimately, we know the kingdom was divided because of the sin there, and that sin of idolatry. So, 
here in verse 27. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord. Well, if it's their Lord, then why are you worrying about it? <laughs> Even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And so that's what he was worried about. Then look in verse 28. Whereupon the king took counsel. But who do you think he went to? You think he went to good godly people? Do you think he called the man of God in? Do you think he called the prophet, whoever it was at the time? Hey, come in. I need you to give me some advice. No, because <laughs> he wouldn't have given him this advice. <laughs> Whereupon the king took counsel. So when you take counsel, make sure you get it from the right sources. Amen. Amen. And here you have a pastor. Go to him. Amen. Amen. And made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is, it, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Why you bother going so far, taking these long trips three times a year? And so I want to tell you that idolatry is convenient. It's convenient, but it's not a good idea because it gets you in trouble with the true and living God. But it's convenient because you can dress that idol when you want to. You can change its clothes when you want to. You can lock it in a room when you want to. You leave and go outside and see this goes on in Mexico, right? They go outside and their God's still in the, in the church building. So God's back there. He's not seeing what I'm doing out here. Lock him in a room. He's not seeing what I'm doing. So idolatry is convenient to the people. And here he made it convenient for them. To not have to go up to Jerusalem three times a year. No, you can worship right here. You can sacrifice right here. And he set up two idols, one in Dan and one in Bethel. Now, where is Bethel compared to Shechem? Right there, right close together. Dan is far up north. So a lot of times the Bible has this phrase, from Dan to Beersheba. So Dan's in the north and Beersheba's way in the south, south of Bethlehem, way further south in the desert. And so that basically means the whole country. If you read from Dan to Beersheba, that's what it means, the whole country of Israel, okay? And so he set up two idols here in verse 28, whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. You don't have to do that anymore. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. What blasphemy. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even to Dan. And so it became a stumbling block to the people. So he took counsel from wicked men, took a bat, made a bad decision, put two idols up, and said, you don't need to go to Jerusalem anymore. You can worship these gods here. These are the gods which brought you out of Egypt. Oh, no. <laughs> You can take that calf and you can bust it into pieces. It won't raise a hand to defend itself. We see when Aaron made a gold calf, Moses ground it into powder and put it in the people's water and made him drink it. <laughs> and so here Jeroboam makes a bad decision. And for how many generations do you think his bad decision is going to affect people in the future? You know, when you take bad counsel and make bad decisions and commit sins like Jeroboam's committing here by setting up idolatry in his nation. He was a stumbling block for generations to come, and you think your sin doesn't affect other people, you could be a stumbling block for generations to come. From one bad decision. So be very careful that your decisions honor God. You make sure it's okay with God when you do that. Amen. So Sychar is Shechem of the Old Testament. It's the place where, Jews, where Jesus met the woman at the well. Let's go back to John chapter 4. They didn't speak to each other. There was a half-race problem. There was a religion, difference in religion. They didn't speak to each other. So she was shocked. <laughs> she was shocked when he opened his mouth to talk to her. And so to the Jews, the Samaritans were undesirable, undesirable people. Do you, do, you, do you try to reach undesirable people to the Lord, for the Lord? 
Oh, no, yuck. Who would want to talk to them? That's your problem. Jesus didn't say, ooh, yuck, this woman's a Samaritan. I can't talk to her. He didn't say, ooh, yuck, this woman is basically a whore. She's had so many husbands and the one she's now with is not her husband. I can't talk to her. They're the ones that need him the most. But a lot of times we're like the Levite and we're like the Pharisee that take the other side of the road and walk as far away from those people as we can. You'd be surprised how open these people are to the gospel. They're needy. They're needy. I never knew our ministry would take this sort of direction that it's taken. Now, our whole church is not a rehab center. That's not the case. And I'm still pastoring our people. But I never knew we would have such an impact and being able to reach so many people with addictions for the Lord. A lot of people would walk on the other side of the road and say, hmm, I don't want to talk to them. They're getting saved one after another. They're being discipled. They're being baptized. They're being added to the church. And it's a blessing. But we could say, ooh, ooh, undesirable people, yuck. Well, we've been going and preaching in rehab centers for about six years now. And now Brother Miguel opened his own. So it's a ministry under our church. Undesirable people. So the Samaritans were undesirable people to the Jews. Look in verse uh, 6 and 7, 8 and 9. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey and... The human side of him became weary. The human side of him became thirsty, became hungry, got sleepy, got tired, got exhausted. Because <laughs> remember, he has both natures, the human nature and the divine nature. But his divine nature was in, like, in a hidden state most of the time, except for like when he did miracles and walked on water and fed 5,000 people on one occasion, 4,000 on another, healed the lame, healed the blind, healed the sick. Then his divine nature came through, but uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. But for the most part, he just looked like any of the other guys. Why do you think they paid Judas Iscariot, a traitor, to go kiss him to, to show, hey, that's the one? Because he wasn't a blonde-haired guy with long hair and these cute little hands and perfectly manicured nails. He was a strong man, a carpenter. And the Bible tells us it's, it's shameful for a man to have long hair. That nature itself teaches us that it's a shameful thing for a man to have long hair. Amen. And so why would... Jesus go against his own word. He wouldn't do that. People get confused. They confuse Nazarite with Nazarene. Well, Nazarite made, the, made those vows like Samson was a Nazarite, so he had long hair. Jesus never made those vows. He just grew up in Nazareth. <laughs> Amen. So here in verse 6, being wearied with his journey, set thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, so noon. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me drink. She about passes out. Because <laughs> they didn't speak to each other. <laughs> For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. And that just means any kind of food. It doesn't mean they were eating steaks that day. <laughs> you got to understand the Bible. A lot of people today don't understand the Bible. The teens weren't understanding what the word spoiled meant or spoils at the youth conference. I was getting a kick out of that. Believe me, they're using the modern interpretation of the word spoiled. But in the Bible, it's basically the enemy army comes in and takes everything you have. That's to spoil you. That's what it was. But people today, they don't even worry about bothering about going in and see what these words really mean. Then here in verse 9... Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him. Oh, also when the Bible says corn, it doesn't necessarily mean corn, like corn on the cob. It just means any kind of grain. Okay? So if it says meat, it means any kind of food. If it says corn, it means any kind of grain. So you got to understand these things when you read your Bible. Amen. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, 
which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Remember, they would travel clear around and not have to go through there. So they didn't want to talk to anybody there. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me drink, thou wouldst, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Oh, living water? What's that? The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. Well, this is God Almighty. If he said, water, leap up out of this well into my mouth, it would have done it. <laughs> hey, man, you got to remember who we're dealing with here. But she didn't know that at this point, but she believes it later. From whence then hast thou that living water? And she's thinking earthly, material, physical, the Lord's thinking something spiritual. So they're not on the same plane right now. <laughs> Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Amen. Which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Amen. Much greater than Jacob. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. You've had to come again and again, haven't you? I mean, you came down today. Did you come down yesterday and the day before and the day before that? Because in Mexico, a lot of times we say, donde hay agua hay vida. What does that mean? Where there's water, there's life. If there's no water, there's no life. And so if they wanted to live, they had to keep coming down to the well, coming to that well for water, Probably on a daily basis. And then in verse 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So let's now go to John 7 and verses 37 and 38. And so again, he's talking about a spiritual Blessing, and she's thinking still on that material, physical, earthly plane. Because she's thinking, boy, if I drink some of this water, I won't have to come down here again. Oh, it'll satisfy my thirst forever. I won't have to ever come down to the well again. Who wants to come down to the well every day? I could just stay at home, not ever have to come down for water again. That's what she's thinking. But look at John 7, 37 and 38. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now look at verse 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's talking spiritual things. She's thinking earthly things material things and then look in verse 15 the woman saith unto him sir give me this water that I thirst not neither come hither to draw boy you're going to save me a lot of work in the future <laughs> Jesus saith unto her go call thy husband and come hither so in the first place we see Jesus had compassion for the lost because he must needs go through Samaria. Why was it so necessary for him to go through Samaria? He was thinking of the lost. He was thinking of this woman he was to meet by the well. He's thinking of all those people she invited out of the city of Sychar. He's thinking that they needed to hear the gospel, that they needed to hear the truth, that they needed to meet the Messiah. And so he had compassion on them. Undesirable people. He was willing to talk to someone other Jews wouldn't have wanted to talk to. And then here, number three, he gets straight to the point. Like when Nicodemus came to him and said, Oh, we've heard that you uh, do these great miracles. Uh, uh, if you're just a regular man, you couldn't do these things. And Jesus got, just went straight to the point. He didn't try to explain anything. He didn't explain where he came from or why he was here. He just told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Bam, straight to the point. Here he does it again. He gets straight to the point in dealing with this woman's sin. It wasn't accidental that he told her, go call thy husband and come hither. 
The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. You're just shacked up. You're just living together. You're living in sin. This is fornication. And that sayest thou truly. Then the woman perks up real quick because she had never met this guy before. She'd never heard of him before. Uh, no one she knew had gone to tell him all the things she had done. Like when people first start coming to church, they want to know, who told the preacher all that I've been doing? <laughs> well, nobody. <laughs> He's just preaching the word. I know someone went and told him everything I've been doing. And so she felt that same way. It was conviction, the conviction of her sin. And she felt it. <laughs> Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Now she brings up the difference in religion. But he didn't let it stop him. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Well, what is it? People say, well... There are so many religions in the world. Which is the right one? There are so many versions of the Bible. Just in English, when I was in Bible Institute, we looked at 130, and there's more than that now, versions of the Bible in English. And most of them agreed with the Catholic Bible, and only very few agreed with the King James of all these modern versions NIV, uh, NASB, ESV, all, all the different versions there are, agree with the Catholic Bible, and so does the Jehovah's Witness Bible. So those Bibles can't be right. <laughs> Amen. Like the majority agree, yeah, they're all wrong. Amen. Because these are, these are we, we, we call them the nutty idiots version. <laughs> the new international perversion, things like that. Because Satan's using them to confuse people. So if we have all these versions of the Bible, which is the right one? That's easy. The one that modern people reject is the right one. Amen. And so she brings up the difference in religion. Well, there are two religions here. Which is the right one? Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain. So if they're right there at the well, it's one of the two, maybe Mount Gerizim, maybe Mount Ebal, and Bethel's nearby where uh, that wicked king set up a, another idol, a golden calf. And he says, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Hey, we're doing that tonight, right here. Amen. Ye worship, ye know not what. You don't even know what you're worshiping, he told her. And, you know, you can be direct with people, and some people will get offended and stomp off, but if they're really interested in the message you're bringing to them, they'll stay and listen. It's okay to be direct. Jesus was direct. Amen. You don't have to be a wimpy Christian or a feminine Christian and say, well, I really don't want to step on your toes. Uh, they're not even going to want to hang around and listen to you. They want to listen to someone who's real. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Blam! Because if it weren't for the Jews, we wouldn't have a Bible. And if it weren't for the Jews, we wouldn't have a Savior. Verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God's been looking for you. <laughs> Basically he's telling her. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We don't have to go to either mountain to worship him. You can worship him right here in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh. She had heard about the Messiah. Little did she know that it's him, but she's soon to believe it. Which is called Christ. That's the title for the Messiah. 
When he has come, he will tell us all things. But he's been telling you some things, hasn't he? Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. I am. I am that I am. You should look up in John all the times he says I am. So I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I'm the door. <laughs> and all, of, all the different times, I'm the light of the world, all the different times he says I am. And that's just a reference to him being Jehovah. Which means I am that I am. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man saith, What seekest thou? Why talkest thou with her? No one said anything, but they probably thought it was strange. The woman then left her water pot. And I think this is funny. <laughs> That's the reason she had come down to the well. But she found something so much better. Amen. Amen. She forgot about that. Now she's on a mission. She's going back to the city to tell everybody she met the Messiah. Come, come out here and come and meet him. Which is what God wants us to do. So she left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? This might be the Messiah. You should come check it out. Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Now, let's, let's go down a little further and look in verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So based upon her word, they came out to hear him. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. He stayed more time. More people wanted to hear. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. So even when he told her that she was worshiping what she knew not, she didn't act offended, she didn't slap him in the face, she didn't stomp off. She said, well, see if I listen to you anymore. She stuck around for a few minutes and then she left and left her water pot. I think it's interesting that he told her salvation is of the Jews, so true. Uh, some, again, Christians today are anti-Semitic. <laughs> what? Are you a Christian Nazi or what are you? I love my Lord and Savior and he's a Jew. You got to recognize the Bible you have in your hands. God used about 40 different men and to my knowledge they were all Jewish. Some people say that Luke wasn't, but I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I because the, the Bible tells us that he uh, commended his word into, the, into their hands. Also, uh, sal salvation of the, of the Jews because Jesus is Jewish. <laughs> so if you're anti-Semitic, what do you do? You hate the Lord too? Now let's go back and look at verse 35. Say not ye there are yet four months, procrastinators. Well, I'll eventually uh, witness to somebody. I just haven't got around to it yet. Well, when on earth are you ever going to get around to it? Time's a wasting. You know, we're really good at wasting time. But the Bible says that a wise man spends his time wisely, but a fool wastes it. The Bible says, redeeming the time. Are you redeeming the time or are you wasting time? A wise man is redeeming the time, using his time wisely. Amen. What a wiser way to spend your time than leading someone to Christ? Bringing them under your discipleship. Uh, bringing them to church. Leading them along. Helping them along when they're taking their first steps. 
helping them grow, helping them stay in church, helping them understand the scriptures, helping them out along the way. Do you have one person you're doing that with? It'd be wonderful if each one of us had 12. You could multiply this number times 12, and that's how many people would be here tonight. Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Harvest of souls. So there in Samaria, when we were in Israel, we saw wheat planted out there. And I imagine there were wheat fields there, and they were looking at the fields, and no, 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 don't say the harvest is in four months. Look, the wheat's already white into harvest, but he's talking about a harvest of souls. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. So the mission field, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. If you don't ever go look, you'll never see the need. Well, that's convenient. Then you won't do anything about it because you don't see the need. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. So quit quit procrastinating, and those people that are closest to you that you know need to be saved, start witnessing to them. Amen. Amen. And be the Christian you ought to be, because if you're just trying to lead someone to the Lord and you're leading a wicked life, they're not going to listen to you. They'll think you're the greatest hypocrite they ever knew. And that's the problem with some Christians. They don't want to live a godly life. So then what happens? They bear no fruit. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So are you glorifying the Father? Or is he ashamed of you because you're disobedient? His orchard has no fruit. He hangs his head. And weeps because you're not following his will for your life. No matter where you are, God wants you to be a witness. And here in chapter 4 of John, we see that. And I wanted you to see some background of why uh, the Jews didn't speak to him. I wanted you to see some background of of, uh, that city of Sychar or Shechem and how It was a centrally located city, which was an important city where Jacob's well is still there and Joseph's bones were buried there. You could go see his tomb today. And uh, God, in verse 4, Jesus, God manifested in the flesh, said, and he must needs go through Samaria. So, do you ever take a different route or go meet a person that you have in mind because you're interested in them being saved? I'd like to come back next year and see each of you with 12 you're, you've led to the Lord and are discipling. That'd be wonderful. Amen. And then we, of course, need to do the same. So let's pray for one another. Amen. If you all stand and heads bowed and eyes closed, and maybe there's someone here tonight like the woman at the well who didn't know the Lord. She'd never met the Lord. She had heard of him. She had heard of the Messiah. We've heard, we've heard of the Messiah, she says, but didn't know him personally. You can know about God. You can know that God exists, and you can go straight to hell with that knowledge in your head because it's a head knowledge. Just knowing that God exists doesn't save anybody. You have to trust in him personally. (laughs) The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You have to put all your trust in him, not in yourself, not in your good works, not in your religion. You have to trust in him. And from that day on, this woman was changed. And immediately after trusting the Lord, she was being a witness. Come, she went to the men in the city. Come, come and see. I think I met the Messiah today. You should come out here too. And immediately was obedient. Have you ever noticed uh, that when sometimes people get saved, right after that, they're interested in seeing their relatives come to know the Lord or maybe their closest friends? 
But then time goes by, and instead of being more fervent for the Lord, it's like there's you've become frigid. <laughs> and now you have no desire to go witness to anybody or bring people to church or see people saved or disciple people, taking them under your wings. No, that's too much work. It's the best kind of work you could ever do. Amen. And a lot of people put themselves first, put their finances first, put their job first, and have no time in their lives for serving God. Don't you think your priorities are messed up? So maybe you're here tonight and have never known the Lord as your personal Savior. Would you come down to the altar tonight? Say, that's me. I need to be saved. I've heard about God. I've heard about the Messiah, but I don't know him personally. And maybe as a Christian, you could just be honest with yourself tonight and be honest with God tonight and say, I'm not the witness I ought to be. And maybe you could come down to the altar and just deal with God about that and just come down to, to him and say, Lord, I want you to use me more. And... Uh, just come down and say, I give everything I am to you. I give everything I have to you. Please use me. Would you come down tonight? Just say, Lord, I want to be a better witness. I don't want to ever be ashamed of you. I don't want to keep my mouth closed. I want to lead people to the Lord. I want to disciple new believers. I want to see our church grow. I want to see people added, added to the body and added to the church. And God, would you use me, me to do that? Would you come down tonight, Pastor? Pastor?